Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thank you very much for making us a part of your afternoon yet again today. Joined in studio, as always, by our executive producer, Krista Baruti. Thanks for being here with us. Hey, hey. It's good to be back. We've been gone a whole week. I know. I haven't seen you in days and days. I know. Did you miss me? Do I look different? I'm, I'm, I'm packing yeah, a few extra Krista LBs deprived. here. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well, Krista deprived, but uh, I'm, I'm food enriched, I can tell you that. <laughs> me too. Well, you've got a great guest in the studio Yeah, today. speaking of being uh, a little overweight, uh, it plays right into uh, the topics that my guest today will uh, be uh, addressing. I've, I've got Dr. Kusro Niazi from the Emory uh, College of Medicine here in Atlanta. He's actually the director of uh, peripheral vascular interventions uh, at the at the Emory College of Medicine, and uh, he's a physician that our practice is certainly familiar with over time. Uh, being a physician who's able to go in and uh, intervene when patients have blockages that are affecting uh, whether a wound would heal or not, we certainly turn to his expertise over time. And uh, the physicians in our practice have spoken highly of him. So I'm really happy to have Dr. Kusro uh, Niazi with us in studio today. So thanks for taking time. You've got a very, very busy schedule today, and uh, you made time to share a little bit of information about the heart and uh, how you can prevent heart attacks and strokes and limb loss. So we've got a lot of things to cover. It's my pleasure, CW, to be invited to this program. I mean, it's a great program, and you've done a great service for the community. So I look forward to, uh, in the next uh, 30 minutes, to expound or a little bit that I know of and share it with your audience. Well, it's a, it's a topic that's certainly important to me. I'm a person who has got a strong family history. My father died as a young man of a sudden cardiac death at 48, so uh, we had no idea he had any problems. I'm sure we can probably talk a little bit about how one might be able to thwart that and when when should they think about being at risk and things like that. So from my perspective, you know, those are, I think, some good places to start with is hopefully you can share some information as to how someone like myself can avoid becoming a patient per se that needs an intervention. Maybe I'm just under your management and hopefully you can prevent me from having a stroke, prevent me from having a heart attack. So I think just like the saying says, knowledge is power. I, th- I try to educate uh, people and my patients. When I see a new patient for the first time in my office, I first explain to them what is circulation because You'll be amazed. Many of these patients don't even understand the difference between arteries and veins. Right. So I'm just going to take a few minutes, CW, and explain you. Sure. Think of the circulation like a plumbing supply, uh, water supply to your house. You have a pipe that brings the blood, uh, water and a pipe that drains the house. The same thing happens. The main function of our heart is to pump the blood. When it pumps the blood, it circulates in our body in pipes called arteries. Mm -hmm. Once the blood reaches its destination, it comes back to the heart in pipes called veins. So there is a big difference in arteries and veins, and they develop different disease. Let's first talk about arteries. Mm -hmm. When we are born, our arteries are nice and pristine and clear. Gradually over time, we start depositing cholesterol and narrowing, just like an old water pipe gets clogged up. The same thing happens in our arteries. And this can happen anywhere in our body. But some places it can be catastrophic. 
So you, we have got arteries in our neck that take the blood to our brain. If we get build up in those pipes, we get a stroke. Right. Now, before you get a stroke, about 50% of patients may have warning signs. Unfortunately, these warning signs are subtle, and most of the times the patients ignore them, but that's the time to come to the physician. And these warning signs may be like loss of vision for a few minutes. Patients goes off to sleep, wakes up, and the vision is fine. Or slurred speech, or garbled speech, or loss of speech for a few minutes, or weakness, numbness on one side, dropping things out of your hand for no good reason, or asymmetrical smile, you know, the family members will notice the face is asymmetrical. Things like that would be early warning signs. What many times people call TIAs or transient ischemic attacks, which are mini strokes. The second place where the blockage can really be a significant problem is in your heart. You've got three main arteries that bring the blood to your heart muscle. If you get buildup of cholesterol in those, you may start experiencing chest tightness or shortness of breath with your daily activities. And these symptoms are not subtle. They will be very obvious. Or the patient may start noticing they may have pain in their neck or the jaw, lower jaw or in their back. Or ladies' symptoms may be a little more atypical, just generalized fatigue, tiredness. And there will be early signs that they may have developed some blockages. Unfortunately, about 30% of people may not have any of these symptoms, and their first symptoms is a massive heart attack and they collapse. The third place is in the leg arteries. There's one artery goes to the right leg, one goes to the left leg. If you get build up in those pipes, the first thing your family members will notice that your walking speed has become slow. You can't keep up with them in the mall. You're walking behind them or you frequently stop and sit down because your calves get tired or they cramp on you. And when you slow down or sit down, the discomfort gets better. Mm-hmm. You stand up, walk again, again the discomfort comes. Some people, they just change their lifestyle. They become more sedentary. Gradually, they start understanding that their legs are hurting. They think it's old age and they don't get medical attention. And many times, even they go to their doctors for other problems. They never bring this issue out that they are walking slowly or their legs get tired or hurt. Some people may have atypical symptoms, numbness in their feet or just the feet being extremely cold. The danger of this disease is that if they get any injuries on their f- on their foot, it will not heal quickly because they are not getting enough blood supply. Right. So that wound may stay for long. Normally, a wound on the foot should heal, you know, in three to seven days, maximum ten days. But if you have a wound on the foot that is not healed in two weeks' time, you should really get attention with specialists who deal with circulation. Mm-hmm. The next thing is the veins. A vein's job is to take the blood back to your heart. So when you're standing or sitting all day long, gravity is pulling it down. So inside the veins, we have got valves. They are one-way doors. They allow the blood to go up. When the blood tries to come down, they shut down, stop the blood. In our legs, some of our valves stop working. It is a far more common disease than the blockage disease. And the symptoms of this disease will usually come on by the end of the day after you've been up and around. Most common one being talk, my legs get heavy, tired at the end of the day. They get into the habit of propping it up on a stool or an ottoman, or they get cramps at nighttime, severe cramps. I'm not talking of an occasional cramp, but severe cramps at nighttime, which wakes them up, make, wants them to walk around, or they may have restless legs, or they may have itching of the skin, or the skin, or the ankle gets swollen, and mm-hmm. they may start noticing visible veins, varicose veins. Now, as I said, you don't have to have all of these symptoms. You may have some, and other people may have other symptoms. And the danger of this is that if you form a sore above your ankle, 
it it won't heal quickly because you have got stagnant blood sitting underneath. Yep. And these are called stasis ulcers or venous right. ulcers. And people suffer for months and they keep putting local ointments to heal it, but they never address the underlying cause. And even if they will heal it with local treatment, It'll it's going to come yeah. back. Yeah, that's right. And that, so this is the nutshell of, uh, and it took me, you know, to be honest, less than five minutes. And I do this with all my new patients. I've got diagrams in my office, and, and which I show them, which makes a little more impact. This way, I've educated the patient. So in future, if they or their family members or their loved ones develop any symptoms, they will be able to know, okay, you need to go to you know, doctors and get some help. Mm-hmm. And we were talking uh, before we went on the air today that as a cardiologist, you, you practice general cardiology where you can manage somebody probably from a preventive management situation like I described. I have a family member, immediate family member who had a big cardiac event uh, that puts me at risk. Um, so you could manage me from that perspective, but then also you could take care for me, take care of me if I actually need some sort of intervention done. You're actually able to go in and uh, access through uh, uh, the vascular system and do a procedure that would open that blockage up in many cases. That's correct, CW. So at Emory Healthcare, what we have developed at the Heart and Vascular Center is a physician like me who can treat patients from head to toe for not only heart attacks and heart problems, but other circulation problems. Mm-hmm. Normally, what I described, if you needed to see uh, a, pro, a doctor, you will have to see three different specialists. Yep. You may have to go to a cardiologist, then you may have to see a vascular surgeon, then you may have to yeah. see a radiologist. But what we have done is that patient comes to us, we evaluate them from head to toes. So if a patient like you, who has not really a patient, but who is concerned because of the strong family history, that they want to come and they want to prevent this thing, well, we, I will basically evaluate you for your risk factors, your blood pressure, your cholesterol, what is your future chance, and then tell you how you can reduce those risks. So if you're telling me you're getting cramps in the legs, I would say, okay, we need to help you not to develop venous disease in the future because your job entails sitting for long periods of time in a chair or standing for long periods of time, things like that. And I'm already a, an Emory patient, actually, a cardiology patient, preventive cardiology. Uh, I've taken advantage of the knowledge of my family history to get involved with a cardiologist who can do basic studies on me. And I've even done a stress test, actually, just to rule out uh, the presence because I was doing some really long range uh, running and they wanted to make sure that I was good to go uh, to tolerate that kind of activity. But uh, I'm actively involved with the Emory Cardiology Department and I can say that the people I've encountered there have certainly been fantastic along the way. Um, You know, when we're talking to uh, the person out there listening today, uh, you know, Take me through when when should I really kind of be thinking maybe I should get myself or my loved one checked out by a cardiologist as opposed to my primary care physician? The, the problem becomes is most cardiologists really are focused on the heart because that kills people. So they can take a patient to a cardiologist if they have any of the symptoms like chest tightness, shortness of breath, or they're having significant palpitations, or passing out spells. I think in those situations, you should always get yourself checked. Otherwise, I think the primary care doctors do a phenomenal job in evaluating patients. Yes, they are busy, they're hectic, so they will address, if a patient goes with a problem, they will address that problem. But will they be able to have time to screen them? I think if they set up a time and they say, just like you, you want to go to a doctor, you're not having symptom, but you say, doc, here's my family history, I'm a little concerned about it, can you evaluate me from that perspective? That right. is preventive perspective. 
So I think to answer your question, when should you take your family members, especially if they have any symptoms, you should really take them uh, quickly and get that addressed. Because if you if you catch it in an earlier stage, you may significantly help them. I explained to the patients, it's like if your water pipe is getting narrowed and the pressure in the water is getting low, it's better to get that pipe fixed then than to wake up one day and find there's no water supply. That's right. And now you have a problem, big <laughs> That's problem. Right. That's right. So the same thing applies to patients. You know, it's better to come in earlier than with a heart attack because th- by that time the damage is done. The same thing happens any disease you take, strokes or you take venous disease or ulcers. You know, ulcers happen on the legs. But if an ulcer has happened, okay, it's late, but still we can address it so you don't have future ulcers. Or the wound doesn't get infected with gangrene and you lose your leg. That's right. So with everything that I've explained, strokes, heart disease, leg circulation, if you catch it at an earlier stage, you can prevent more extensive damage. I know if a person is involved with the physician group at Emory, you know, it's tied together by electronic medical records. So regardless of where my, my doctor is located, I, um, you know, my information is available to the other physicians uh, around the system. But um, if, if I'm not fortunate enough to be an Emory patient today or part of, you know, one of my doctors is not in the Emory medical group, uh, are there particular studies, you know, non-invasive studies that maybe I should ask my provider, my, my primary care doctor that I go to every year, um, when should I, you know, one, when's it important for someone to actually become yearly involved with a primary care physician, for example? Are there particular studies that I should be thinking about for myself, for my loved one when we go? Hey, maybe we haven't ever done this before and I have a, a relative that had this or that. Are there studies that I should ask about if I've not had yet that, that might be able to catch that problem before I actually, maybe even before I have symptoms? So I think what happens is certain basic checkups like blood pressure, your cholesterol, those things are important, routine blood tests for your kidney function, those things are... Who needs that annual test? Well, especially if you have a family history. So if you have a parent, you know, who has had a heart problem before the age of 60, you know, then that puts you at high risk for vascular disease. So any vascular disease or people who have had aneurysm, and I didn't mention that, but sometimes in the big arteries, Mm -hmm. instead of narrowing, the vessel wall gets weaker and becomes bigger. Like those balloons that they make into the funny shapes. It actually balloons out like that. Balloons out. And the danger is just like a balloon ruptures, but you know, do you hear a bang? But when it ruptures in your body, you you bang, die. You're dead. You, you're dead. <laughs> so this normally will happen in your belly or in the aorta, right. and, and that's the common site where it happens. And when the aneurysm ruptures, it can cause a problem. So if you have a family history of aneurysms, you know, then you should have screening definitely done between the age of 65 and 75 okay. with an ultrasound test. But let's say if you have a family member who's uh, who's having any symptom that you're concerned, maybe mini strokes or TIAs, then you should, the patient should be having an ultrasound of their neck arteries. It's a simple test. It's done in doctor's offices. It takes about 30 minutes to do it, but it gives us very good information. Is there a significant blockage in the neck arteries or not? If they're having any chest tightness or shortness of breath with activities and they're concerned, at that point, we will be strongly considering of doing a stress test, make them walk on a treadmill. If they can't walk on a treadmill, we can do chemical stress tests, which will tell us if they have any significant blockages in their heart arteries or not. If they have history of abdominal aortic aneurysm, we'll do ultrasound of the uh, belly, which takes about you know 20 minutes, and we can identify is there an aneurysm or not. If they are having leg discomfort or if they're walking slowly, they should have a very simple test called ankle brachial index, 
where we put blood pressure cuffs on their arms and on their ankles and we check the pressure and compare it because when you're lying down the pressure in your foot should be the same as your arm so if okay. you divide that ankle pressure by your arm pressure you should get a ratio of 1.0 but if anything is less than that that means there may be a blockage in your leg arteries and lastly with the venous disease if you are having severe cramps in your legs or restless legs or itching or you have noticed varicose veins then we can do a venous ultrasound study on your leg veins and see which way is the blood flowing and identify that disease and that test takes about 30 minutes some of the tests are offered in the primary care doctors offices and whereas some of these tests are more specialized they will have to see specialists like me who can do them in their offices and give them the information i know the way that uh, emory clinic is set up you can potentially depending on where your physician is located you might actually be able to do that all in one building so you can actually do that very easily in between uh, different types of specialists whether it's your primary care physician or the cardiology folks so that's correct uh, so cw if like patients like who come to me i do all these testing but as i said most cardiologists they are really more tuned towards heart and they can do the heart testing but if they need the carotid or the leg circulation they will either send it to me or somebody else but where wherever i'm practicing at i have clinic at emory main campus and i also have clinic in east cobb when i see patients and i need these tests done they are done right there and then and we can give them the results uh, and explain them what we have found we've been talking with uh, dr kusro niazi an interventional cardiologist with the uh, emory university college of medicine and uh, obviously you know been around the community for a long time taking care of folks that are having a variety of uh, vascular problems, whether it's with their heart, um, whether they're at risk for a stroke or have had a stroke, or, or they're having trouble with uh, uh, problems with circulation to their legs. And we're learning a little bit about when should somebody think about getting some preventive measures done, whether it's a you know a, a study that my primary care physician could could uh, perform in their office, or maybe when you know if you're someone like myself who you know one of my very near relatives had a, a major heart attack uh, that was previously undiagnosed he hadn't had, if he had had symptoms prior to that they had been the kind that were very vague that you know weren't obvious chest pain that weren't obvious shortness of breath or anything like that he was somebody that was traipsing around in the mountains at altitude and deep snow you know weeks before he died so i mean uh, talk about a stress test that that, uh, that didn't identify his problem um, you know but if you have uh, someone in your family that's had those types of problems uh, it's definitely, you know, a point where you, you know, like me, I've never had uh, any kind of symptoms whatsoever, and I'm pretty healthy already. I mean, I usually eat pretty well, sometimes Excluding extremely well, um, but uh, also, uh, you know, take care of myself uh, physically, you know, from a physical fitness perspective, but I also got involved. Uh, when that happened with my dad, uh, that's when I, you know, got involved with a preventive cardiologist at the Emory uh, Clinic to begin doing those annual or at least near annual. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still not quite 50, so I've not had to go necessarily every year. More more recently, I have so since I'm on a statin now to take care of cholesterol. Um, but, um, you know, those are the things that I think that are really important for the person in the community to know about just because, you know, here in the southeast, it's meat and three. It's not always the healthiest meat and three. Uh, breaded everything, fried everything. Um, diabetes is a very large component of our population. I'm not sure what the actual statistics are as a percentage, but it's very high. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you can talk a little bit about what that means for a person if they or their loved one has diabetes because just that disease state in and of itself 
the high levels of glucose are going to be damaging the blood vessels and causing inflammation, and over time they're getting blocked off and it's damaging the nerves. Um, and so those things can contribute to problems that would get me to you. That's correct, uh, CW. You mentioned that diabetes and obesity, I think, are the two biggest. We are seeing a decline in the tobacco use, but definitely diabetes and obesity is on the uprise, and we, we, we need to control this thing because it's become to the level of ep an epidemic. And it's going to take a toll because it does not affect one organ. I mean, this affects the whole body. And both these diseases, they go hand in hand. When people get obese, their risk of diabetes goes much higher and they develop diabetes down the road. And the same thing, patients who develop diabetes, they start developing obesity and that becomes a problem. And the circulation definitely gets affected. So I think the most important thing for your audience is recognize the symptoms. Unfortunately, I think as in healthcare, we have not done a great job in educating our patients in what symptoms they need to recognize. And if they get symptoms, they should really see the primary care doctors immediately, who will then refer them to specialists if they need to be. But I think the primary care doctors play a very pivotal role, and I respect them a lot, though I'm a specialist, but I did my training first in internal medicine. And I think they do a phenomenal job in identifying patients, and patients need to be using them uh, at an earlier stage rather than a later stage, especially if they have a family history. If they don't have a family history, then it becomes hard. You know, if they are doing regular exercise and they're watching I th and, and they know they don't have any symptoms, I think that's fine. But if they have any symptoms or if they want to start doing an exercise program, like many people after New Year, you know, they will make a, a commitment that they want to get into exercise, they should get themselves at least checked before they jump into regular exercise, especially if they are above the age of 40 and if they have any risk factors that can predispose them to vascular disease, which includes smoking besides diabetes and obesity. But other diseases can also put them at risk, like gout can also put them at risk. I didn't realize that, actually. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Kusro Niazi, the interventional cardiologist from the uh, Emory Health System, and uh, sharing some information on uh, how folks in the community can hopefully prevent themselves from having problems uh, with their heart or uh, a stroke or, or, or maybe trouble with, um, you know, ulcers or, or limb loss due to problems with uh, flow down to their lower extremities. But, uh, you know, let, let's kind of get, I guess, th into the situation where maybe I, I've either gone to my primary care physician, hopefully, to get tracked, uh, you know, watching my cholesterol to see if that needs to be controlled or whatever it may be, and they determine that, you know, I think that either based on your family history or based on some findings that I'm getting here, um, maybe I need to link you up with Dr. Niazi for some management. Kind of walk me through, uh, you know, what, what I can expect from, from the perspective of actually intervening with, with a problem that I might have based on where it may be. So when a patient comes to me, I, I have sensed uh, in being in practice for more than 20 years, and myself also, most patients do not like to take medicines. And I agree with them. You know, I mean, I think these chemicals that we put into patients' bodies, we use them as f uh, in medicine when their benefit outweighs the risk of it. But many times I will tell patients, listen, I don't like giving you medicines. Let's first discuss how's the natural ways of addressing this thing. And first of all, let's talk about, talk about your weight. So I encourage them. But, you know, it's a very difficult thing for patients to lose weight. I will be honest, I think in medicine we have still not identified the, the disease of obesity. Or it's become now a recognized disease. This year, uh, the government also recognized that obesity is a disease. And now we have a specialty called bariatric medicine, which specifically deals with it. But I think over the next 10, 15 years, we are going to discover 
and then how to address this disease. Because currently, I think the methods that I recommend to my patients, they are very difficult. I mean, telling them to adjust your, your diet. diet. yeah. Because we are, you know, we are inundated in, in, our, in our world with ads and any place we go, we are seeing food ads. And it becomes hard to, you know, control. We are all obviously human beings. The same thing happens after obesity is with tobacco use. You know, it's an addiction. Right. It's, it's a very tough problem. Yep. It's very easy for me to tell a patient in 30 seconds, hey, you need to stop smoking. I think most patients know that. But I don't do a good service because I really can't give them any great, you know. So I tell them, talk to their primary care doctors. They may be able to get them nicotine patches, things like that. Because it's an it's a, it's a involved process how to treat addiction problem. And I'm not a specialist in that. And there are other people who do a very good job. But when a patient comes to me and I find if they have a significant, let's take one thing, blockage in their heart arteries, we'll assess their risk. What is this blockage puts them at a risk? And that we can assess with stress testing or ask in the history taking, what are the symptoms? If they are having symptoms at rest, we are very concerned because those patients will tend to do very poorly. They can suddenly collapse and die. So those patients, we get much more aggressive. We get them into the hospital. We will try to do a stress test or an angiogram. If they're having rest pain, we'll proceed straight to a heart catheterization. We put a small catheter from the uh, wrist or from the groin into the heart and define the arteries and find the blockage and see if it needs to be treated with with a stent or a balloon or does it need bypass surgery. Um, the same thing what we happen is in the neck arteries. If you get blockage there, we can treat it with medicines or with stent or with surgery. Something that I've noticed, you know, through our own practice here in, in the community, um, you know, as you know, as, as we've collaborated over the, over the years that, you know, our specialty focuses on wounds that aren't healing. Uh, a large group of the patients that we end up seeing are diabetics um, that have an ulcer on their foot. Um, somewhere that's not healing well and and maybe they're in the care of a foot or ankle specialist that does some wound care measures um, and surgical um, you know measures that would address the the wound that's not healing on the diabetic foot but um, you know interestingly enough as I've been through some uh, presentations uh, by cardiologists of uh, you know from different groups uh, discussing when to do a variety of t studies and what you know how to intervene on a on a wound that's not healing from a vascular perspective I, I learned that you know even though you might think that every foot and ankle surgeon out there knows oh geez I've got a diabetic patient here they've got a wound that's not healing they haven't had a vascular study on their history Maybe I should send them over to Dr. Niazi for a study to see how their vascular system is. Is is a flow problem of blood getting down to that wound um, part of the reason why it's not healing? Do they have something that could potentially be opened up again? I'm, it's it's actually surprising that you know so, some doctors don't necessarily know exactly when to do that from a front and ankle perspective or or maybe an orthopedist if that's what you're going to see and i think that that's important for a patient who has either a loved one or themselves and they've got a wound on their leg that's not healing and they've not yet had a vascular study on their legs to determine if there's a blockage problem that could be fixed because what your services provide you're able to go with the technology that you have through uh, uh, through the groin or, like you say, through the, the wrist, depending on where you're having to try to reach. But you might actually be able to open that person's vascular blockage up without a major surgery and uh, actually, you know, help that wound go on to heal and prevent an amputation. And 
that's a really important thing because we already know through the literature that if I'm a diabetic and I have an amputation that's, you know, a major amputation right below my knee, then my risk of dying in the next five years is close to 50%. That's more than, you know, prostate, Hodgkin's disease, and breast cancer combined. Um, so real important for that patient to understand if, if I'm dealing with a wound on my foot and it's not healing and I've never had a vascular study, I need one. I think it's imperative. That's a great point, CW, you have mentioned, because many times physicians even are forgetting this point because when they see a patient with a wound, you know, they get involved in taking care of the local right. wound. And I focus and on the problem at hand. Exactly. But what they don't realize is there's a bigger problem. Uh, you know, you're seeing the tip of the iceberg, but you're not seeing the bigger problem, and that is vascular. So not every wound is vascular. That's right. But a lot of wounds should be evaluated for vascular because that is a simple thing that can be addressed and will help the wound heal much faster. And I see it on a pretty regular basis. I can give you example after example. I had a patient who's a physician's uh, father who had his right leg amputated last October in uh, another state. And now he had developed a wound on his left leg. And he was, again, given a choice to get an amputation. But his son did some research, and he sent him to me, and we evaluated him and he had a significant blockage in his leg arteries. We were able to go in through a small hole in the groin, clean that blockage out um, and, and balloon it and establish blood flow. Interestingly, he also had venous disease. So we then addressed afterwards, I treated his venous disease and his wound is not completely healed. Yeah, that his would help the artery closed. stay open too. Exa and so his, his, his skin is completely closed up and his wound is healed and the patient is ecstatic. So I see these examples. Your center has, been, has sent me quite a few patients where they had wounds that they were treating with hyperbaric oxygen. It was slowly responding. And your physicians have done a tremendous job in identifying why isn't this wound quickly healing? And they have, at that stage, they have sent the patient to me, and we have found that they have either arterial blockage or venous disease or a combination, and we have been able to address them. And then with the hyperbaric oxygen and local wound treatment, the wounds quickly heal. So anybody who is out there in the audience who has a wound or a loved one who has a wound on their, on their legs, they must get vascular evaluation done. And even if it comes back normal, there's no harm done. That's right. I would rather be happy that somebody's vascular studies are good because then I can tell them your chances of healing that wound are very good. That's right. It's the same thing with your heart. If I can tell you, CW, yes, your father died at an early stage. It puts you at a high risk. But your stress test is normal. Your risk of dying is the same like any other healthy person from a heart problem because right now your stress test is good. The same thing with wounds. If they have wounds, they should get a vascular evaluation done by competent people. And there are thousands of people in this community today that are dealing with a wound on their leg. Thousands, literally, maybe more than 10,000 people in the Atlanta area who have a wound on their leg. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to mention that because if somebody, you know, hears our, our show today and they know, oh, so-and-so has a, a wound on their foot or I have a wound on my foot, I've never had a vascular study, go get one. Uh, it, it's so easy, you know, it, you, you talked about the fact that many of those studies can be done. I know several primary care physician's offices, they can do some of the non-invasive studies in a few minutes that would tell me whether this is something that I need to have checked or not. It could be, the, you know, literally the difference between an amputation that could have easily been prevented. And you should never have to go through an amputation if you didn't have a vascular study. Just don't let it happen. Well, you mentioned it earlier, and I think I want to stress that point is that it, studies have clearly shown that somebody who goes below the knee or above the knee amputation, 
um, 50% of those patients will really not survive even more than two years. Now, it's not because they have died from the amputation. What happens is it's a systemic disease. When you develop blockages in your leg arteries, you're going to develop the same problem in your heart arteries, and you will die from either a heart attack or a massive stroke. So it's to identify other organs that are getting affected. And, w- and what is one of the big things that we talk about uh, in terms of being able to prevent heart disease or vascular disease in general or strokes? Exercise. Exactly. Moving around, uh, you know, being in motion helps you control your weight, makes your heart do some work and keeps it healthy and it establishes blood flow or b- blood flow roots, if you will, in the heart that uh, it builds new, you know, circulation uh, channels in the heart that make it more resistant when a blockage does occur. Um, and when you get an amputation, obviously, it's extremely difficult to ambulate, to, to get around and to be active. And so that person that's already got some disease underway uh, now moves around even less. And that just accelerates the rate at which those disease states advance. And then now they're now they're facing a heart attack or a stroke. And I tell my patients when they come, I say the first medicine I'm going to give you is exercise. Unfortunately, I can't put that in a capsule. Yeah. But I tell them, this is think of it like a medicine. You have to do it on a daily basis. This three times or four times a week, I'm totally against that. If Because the problem is when you do that way, your chances of dropping off are very easy. Because then you will say, okay, I only have to do it four times a week. Today I'm going to skip it. And that today becomes an every day that you start skipping it. So I tell my patients, you have to designate 30 minutes to 45 minutes every day of doing some nice, good, brisk exercise. Whatever they want, whatever they enjoy, do something which they enjoy because their chances of sticking with that is going to be better. Now, I can't lift weights. I don't feel comfortable lifting weights. Is walking good for me? Brisk walking is great for you. So, I mean, any exercise, it's not only good physically, but also psychologically. Does mowing my yard count? Well, I mean, if you're mowing your yard... Not not on a riding mower. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're mowing your yard because your wife has told you you have to do it, it might not work. But if you're doing it for enjoyment and exercise, you have to maintain your heart rate continuously when you're doing exercise. But you can't, you know, mow one half your yard, sit down, have a beer and then go out and mow it again. That's not going to help. Write <laughs> 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 that down, CW. <laughs> Emory cardiologist Dr. Kusro Niazi is sharing some excellent information for our listeners on how to prevent uh, vascular disease of a variety of locations, whether it's uh, one that might cause a stroke, heart attack, or even uh, an amputation of your of your leg. Uh, he's been able to you know tell us what to think about with regards to studies that we should be going to get if we've had some family members who've had some troubles. Um, or if I'm maybe overweight or if I have diabetes, things that might put me at greater risk for, for those types of things. Now, one of the things that I think is important also for our listeners to, uh, to think about is someone like myself. I, you know, I had a family member that made me think, oh, geez, I should go get checked out. Um, I went and got checked out. I had a mild elevation. It wasn't terrible, but my cholesterol was a little bit elevated, and that's a familial thing in our family. Uh, and they put me on a medicine, uh, they call them a statin, um, that uh, helps reduce that, and it did so effectively. But I think that uh, something that is an easy mistake to make on the part of many people, and that is, I'm taking this medicine, so I really don't have to change my diet, right? Correct. And the medicine takes the place of all those other different, less, less than pleasant things that you're recommending in those 30 seconds. And that's why I, when I t- talk to my patients, besides when I say number one is exercise, and number two I say is, let's give it a trial. You know, if they're not at sudden risk, I mean, if you're not coming in with chest pains at the same, but you're just coming, you want to prevent future disease, I would say, let's try exercise. Let's try to adjust your diet. Let's alter your habits. 
and let's repeat the cholesterol if we are addressing that in three months' time. I don't like jumping on medicine. The same thing with blood pressure. If they come in and I notice the blood pressure is high, if they are not having any active signs of heart disease or a stroke or anything, I would say, you know what, let's check your blood pressure in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, why don't you cut down your salt intake? Why don't you start doing some exercise and walking? And it's all been shown these things have beneficial effects. They don't have dramatic effects. They won't bring the blood pressure completely, if it's very high, almost to normal. But these things will have some beneficial effects. So as physicians, our job is not to put people, everybody on medicines. Our job is to see if we can help their natural way of living. Just tweak it a little bit, alter it. So they're not indulging in too much salt. To me, salt is poison. Mm. And I think uh, in, in, in the current... it's so good. So good. And, and, that, <laughs> and that's why people like Bacon. It. Yeah, that's why people like salt because it's, it's highly addicting. Yeah. So when you have a food that has got salt in it, you crave for more. When you have food that doesn't have salt in it, your, your appetite, you are filled up and you don't want more. But salt makes you crave for more. So you go, the same thing with high fructose corn syrup, and Mm -hmm. I can go on and on for those things. But these things are somehow in our diet. And unless a major revolution happens, which I don't see happening right now, that we have to become cognizant of these things and take the responsibility in our own hands and start reading what are we putting in our mouth. If it's something fresh, you know, fruits and salads, and we haven't added any artificial ingredients, you know, I don't think so. You have to be a very smart scientist, but you will recognize this is good for you. But if you are taking anything out of a package because you have to add as a preservative salt in it, or if you are taking anything that has been refined, you know, you're losing all the nutritional advantage that nature has given in that food product, and we are not taking advantage of that. So I think it's imperative for us to understand when they go to doctors, many times patients expect that I'm going to get a prescription. I try to control myself, and I I try to talk to them. That, you know, let's talk about prevention. Let's see how we can prevent. Now, obviously, there are times when we have to intervene because there's a risk of they will lose their leg. If I don't go in and open the blockage, and then I have to put them on some blood thinners, and I have to put them, if the cholesterol is high, you know, take care of that because the risk is. So we we look at a patient and we identify what is their risk. And if the risk is not uh, imaged, I will try to treat them with more natural things than suddenly giving them prescriptions. Are there resources available to me like a support type group or, or you know, nursing uh, resources of some kind that might be able to, you know, either help me kind of stay a little bit more motivated, if you will, to be to be active, whether I could get together and exercise with the group that's through, um, the, you know, the clinic. I don't know if there's support services out there available that you might be able to recommend. Hey, there's a group that focuses on obesity and, you'll, you know, that they can give you some good ideas on how to prepare foods in a different way. Are there any things like that that, that might help me kind of stay on that track of uh, getting, you know, as well as I can without the medicines? Is there there's some help for me that way? So unfortunately, we don't have that great a help, you know, um, in that our support group, but there's a lot of information available on the internet with uh, concerning your diet. But I think your best support group is your mother. If you would listen to your mother and do what she was telling you when you were little and you follow her advice, your chances of indulging in this <laughs> type of uh, snack food is going to be less, you know, and, and doing more exercise. I think that's the, but the thing is, how do we keep our patients motivated? And that's where I think we have not developed 
a great science. How do we keep people motivated? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, at least, you know, as it relates to the practice that we're a part of, I, I, don't, I just don't think that, uh, for example, the patient with a wound, I don't think that many of those people understand that if this does go to an amputation, a major amputation, that I have close to a 50% or maybe even worse than a 50% chance I'm not going to be around five years from now. I don't think very many people realize that. I don't think that they realize how imminent some of these serious outcomes are. I mean, we go around, I feel pretty good today, um, so I must be okay. And, and just, you know, put it off, but not realize that the risk is very severe and it's closer than you think. And it's telling the patients that, hey, listen, you have a circulation problem in your legs. The same circulation problem is happening everywhere in your body. I mean, it, your body's not going to have just a focal circulation problem in just one leg. It's going to be affecting the whole. It's the same thing, like the water supply to your house. I again keep going back to the example because if I give co examples to common people, they will understand it. If you have a pipe that is getting clogged up, you probably have other pipes in the same house that are getting clogged up also. So the same thing for the body if you're having that problem. The same thing with the venous disease. If your mother or father had varicose veins, your chances of developing that are extremely high. So if you start having symptoms, go and get yourself checked. Get this thing addressed earlier. I mean, you may not need surgery if you go earlier. This may be controlled with preventive measures like support hoses, compression stockings, keeping your legs elevated, things like that, or avoiding sitting for long periods of time in, one, in a chair or in one position. So to kind of recap what we've talked about, obviously our goal is to prevent these problems from happening. And so for our, our listener who's either themselves, one of their relatives have had some kind of vascular problems, whether it's they know that... Uh, you know, my, is it, would you think mostly my mom and dad that I need to worry about? How important are my grandma, grandpa, aunts and uncles? How important are, you know, if one of, if my aunt had a heart attack, how important is that for me? Well, it, it is also important because they're still in the family members. So, but sometimes your aunt may have other risk factors. She may have been a smoker or she may not have taken uh, good care of her health or she may have obesity or diabetes. So some of the risk factors may put her at a higher risk of developing the vascular disease. But if any family members, your aunt, your uncles, your parents, your siblings, have developed a vascular disease, it's not a bad idea to bring that to your attention of your primary care doctors because then they can evaluate you more and if they think that you are at a higher risk, then they can send you to specialists. I always say primary care doctors play a pivotal role and I think people should use them to discuss with them so that then they can decide which patients need to go further for any f specialized testing. So look in the mirror and look around the house. If, if I see in the mirror or around the house, I see folks that are overweight, particularly if they have diabetes, particularly if the closer they get to me, father, mother, brother, sister, and grandparents, obviously, um, if some of those very near relatives have had some kind of problem that you know, you know, either causes heart problems or vascular problems like cholesterol issues, or they've had wounds on their foot, uh, or they have pain uh, in their legs when they're walking. Um, any of those types of things, even if I've never had a problem one, even if maybe, maybe even if I'm not overweight, but other people in my family are and they've had trouble, it's not safe for me to just say, oh, well, my brother had a heart problem, but he was overweight. Uh, I'm not overweight, so I don't have a problem. If you have a near relative that's had issues that uh, a doctor has said is related to some sort of vascular problem, whether it's a stroke or a heart heart problem or, or a problem with their legs, 
you got to get yourself checked out. And there's some very easy, in-the-office, non-invasive measures that even your primary care doctor can do for you. How important uh, and valuable are the studies that many of the hospitals and diagnostic centers are putting out there today um, for people like that that are the calcium scores, the heart scans that they're talking about? How useful is that information, and should someone think about that? And they're getting quite affordable now. That's useful information, like the calcium score you indicated. It's a special CAT scan of your heart, and it detects the calcium. What happens in our arteries is when the cholesterol gets deposited, then over time calcium will follow and will get deposited along with that cholesterol and causes the stiffening of the blood vessel walls. So if we see a high calcium uh, deposition in the heart arteries, it suggests to us that there may be significant narrowing in the arteries, but is not 100%. So we evaluate then that type of calcium, high calcium score in the in the heart arteries with further testing like stress testing or inquire from the history what are their symptoms and then make a decision if they need any further invasive studies like an angiogram or not. The same thing I think you were mentioning, CW, that look around in your family, but also look around your family and put on a cap of a doctor and see if, if your grandparents are walking slowly. You know, take them earlier. Give them the suggestion. You know, many times we just are concerned, oh, what am I at risk? But look around, your friends, your family. You'll be surprised if you look around that the statistics for venous disease are, are very common. So 60% of women will have venous disease after the age of 60, and up to close to 40, 45% men will have that disease. So if, if you have friends of people around you who are complaining of severe leg cramps or swelling, or in summertime you look at their legs and they have got varicose veins, you know, guide them. The same thing with your fa- grandparents, your parents. If they're walking slowly or if they develop a wound, you know, say, hey, listen, you need to go and see a vascular specialist. Get your circulation checked because if this is circulation that can easily be fixed, which can further expedite the wound healing, and help you prevent from an amputation. And as it relates to the the discussion about vein problems, that's not just an aesthetic thing that uh, I'm I'm you know showing vanity by going to get my veins fixed. I mean, there's there's real medical reasons why you might want to consider that. And on top of that, nowadays you have technology and tools available to you that make treating those in many many cases, and if not most cases, actually pretty straightforward, pretty simple to do. Uh, and very effective at treating that. You're exactly right. If you come earlier, the treatment is simpler and is more outpatient-based. So vein treatment is in the office. Now, we are putting heart stents in the heart arteries at Emory uh, Heart and Vascular Center where we do the procedure in the morning and we send them home in the evening, but when they are low risk. So if you come early, the treatment is less invasive and is of an outpatient setting. If you come in late, then the treatment is more entailed and longer hospital stays. Our goal is to treat patients as much as out of the hospital, as much we can do that safely. And that's what our goal is. Our ultimate goal is that we can stop the disease from coming and causing a damage. And that's where, as I st- when we started this program, I said knowledge is power. We have to give the knowledge to our people. And the, once the patients and the common people know, have this knowledge and they use this thing, I think it will become much more easier for us treating it because they will come at an earlier stage and we can stop or halt the progress of the disease. 
We've been talking with Dr. Kusro Niazi, an Emory cardiologist uh, and interventional specialist, um, able to take care of any of the blockages that you may have, whether it's a risk for causing a stroke or heart attack or problems with your uh, lower extremities. Any kind of thoughts that you have for the audience before we have to jump off today? Obviously, our time always goes by so quickly when we have these awesome guests on, but do you have any kind of thoughts uh, that you might want to leave either a person that uh, could potentially be a patient out there or maybe even a a physician that may you know, just a thought that they should think about as they uh, contemplate somebody's vascular status. I think I would strongly encourage patients that after what they have learned uh, in our 30 minutes of discussion over here, that they should not hesitate in asking their doctors, hey, listen, I'm concerned about my father or myself or my mother. Their leg circulation may be impaired or I'm concerned about their heart. Talk to their doctors. They should not feel, you know, afraid of not and ask them questions. What further can be done for him? Talk to them about prevention. Yes, many times patients don't want to hear when a doctor says, lose weight. And I've had patients who, who, who became upset with me, but I tell them, hey, listen, this is the same thing I would give to my loved ones, to my family members. I'm not saying this in a... In a it's in not a, a judgment. It's right. just a medical fact. And, and, I, I, and I try to make them realize, listen, this is now a disease. Just like for high blood pressure or high cholesterol, you come to me. The same thing is happening with weight. It's a disease. Yes, we think of obesity more of a social thing, but it's a disease which they need to recognize. And we as physicians need to recognize that it's a very challenging disease to treat. So I think my my last word to the audience over here would be have the knowledge. And these days with the Internet so easily accessible, they should access, understand the things. The tests are very simple. And if their doctor can't do it, they should find the doctors who can do these tests so to identify what is the risk of having vascular disease. Well, we can certainly say from our, our own personal experience as a physician's practice located in the community that uh, Dr. Kusro Niazi at Emory Healthcare is an excellent choice uh, as it relates to getting uh, cardiology care from prevention all the way through uh, intervention. Um, he's got a host of technologies uh, that he can use to get you better um, without having to have surgery in many, many cases. Uh, if you want to go to the Emory um, Healthcare website and, and find him so that you can be seen by him or get your loved one seen. His last name is spelled N I A Z I. Make sure that you link up with the show uh, on Facebook and Twitter at Top Docs on BRX, both on Twitter and Facebook. We linked in with the uh, folks at Emory Healthcare as well so that uh, you can find information from them on our sites as well. Uh, and uh, be sure to think of Dr. Niazi if you or a loved one in the Atlanta area has uh, had any kind of concerns that might be related to uh, vascular problems. So thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule, Dr. Niazi. You've got patients out there to be seen, and you, you gave us some of your day-to-day to uh, share this information, hopefully prevent some something from happening from somebody out there or perhaps getting them care sooner than later, which will save their life, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you very much, CW, for having me over here. It's been my great pleasure sharing the little bit of knowledge that I had, and I hope you never have to be my patient. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And thank you, Krista Baruti, our producer and engineer for today's show. As always, make sure you make an appointment to uh, hook up with us next week on Tuesday afternoon at 2.30. We'll see you then, same time, same place. 